Today is also, as you know, Mother's Day. I hope that you know that. I hope that you hadn't forgotten about your mama. That's pretty important. If I'm seeing anybody exit, it's because they're running down to Kroger to buy something to, you know, cook up this afternoon or get some flowers to put in a vase. I don't see anything like that yet. So maybe we're good to go. I'm not going to ask our mothers to stand today, but I do, I tell you what, if you're thankful for your mama, let us express that appreciation to our mamas, to our mamas in the house. And I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Although, I do want to say to you, and many of you may realize this, this is a difficult day to preach. I want to sort of lift up the hood a bit on my thinking and the process of developing a sermon each week. And when Mother's Day rolls around, I have a lot of concerns and thoughts swirling around leading up to that day. I mean, it's a joyful day for many. For those of you who just applauded, you're grateful for your mama, maybe you're here with your mama today, or if she's not here, she's experiencing good health and you have a good relationship with her, and on this day, your heart just is full of gratitude for your mother. But this is a difficult day for others. Some of you are thinking about the difficult relationship that you share with your mother, or maybe you don't have a relationship at all. You are estranged from your mother. Or maybe your mother is sick, very sick, and she's not able to be here. You would love for her to be here, but her health has prevented her from gathering with you on this Mother's Day. Or maybe you're a mom and you're thinking of your kids who you wish were here, but chose for whatever reason to not come today and to be with you on Mother's Day. And for some of you, this is a downright sorrowful day. It's a sad day. Because you've never been able to become a mother. We have those in our midst. Or maybe because your mother has passed on. And, and maybe it's sort of a bittersweet day. Because you think about your mom and the wonderful memories that you have of her. And you're grateful for the way that she raised you. But you wish you could have one more day with her. You could have her by your side on the pew as you gather this morning. Or maybe you're reflecting on another loss today. So this is a difficult day for many. And for many of you, it's a day of even grief and mourning. Maybe some of you today feel a bit like Naomi at the start of the book of Ruth. We're going to be talking about Naomi this morning. We're going to be looking at the text of the book of Ruth. And so I would invite you to grab a Bible, your Bible, a copy of God's Word on the rack in front of you. Turn to Ruth. Um, If you can find the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch. The next three, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So that makes it what? I've never been all that good at math. The eighth book of the Old Testament, the eighth book. It's a short book, just four chapters long. I would invite you to find that in your Bible and go with me. I want us to talk about this book, but more specifically, I want us to talk a little bit about Naomi. Let me introduce Naomi to you. Naomi is an Israelite woman who was from Bethlehem in Judea. And because of a famine in her homeland, she and her husband, a man by the name of Elimelech, decide to travel to the land of Moab, where there was the hope of food 
And so they take off along with their two sons to Moab. And in time, her husband, Elimelech, dies. And she's widowed. Her sons find two Moabite wives. Their names, Ruth and Orpah. And she lives there with her sons and with their wives for about ten years. But after ten years or so, her sons also die. And she's there living in a foreign country with her daughters-in-law. She's come there because of famine, and now she is without a husband. And we call that a, a widow when that happens. She's without her children, and there's not a name for that. She's lost her family members. She's in a land that she does not recognize. This is a woman who is suffering. This is a woman whose life Uh, is in calamity. She is going through an extremely difficult situation. And in chapter 1, verse 6 of the book of Ruth, Naomi begins the return trip to the land of Judah, to her hometown of Bethlehem, along with her daughters-in-law. Because they hear that there is once again food in the promised land. Food in the homeland, and so they go back, she and her daughters-in-law. This is a Mother's Day sermon, not specifically about a mother, but about a mother-in-law. A mother-in-law. There was a grown son who called his mom, and he said, Mom, after 40 years, I have finally decided to get married. And his mother says, I am so Happy for you. I would love to meet the lucky lady. And he says, well, how about we meet up together for dinner on Friday night? And mom says, great. And so they're planning on it. But the son says, I tell you what, mom, let's have a little bit of fun. Because in the last four years, I've dated three other women. And how about I bring those three ladies with us to dinner, and you can guess which one you think is the woman I've decided to marry. This doesn't sound like a good idea. But the mom agrees to it. And so they're excited. Mom's excited. Son is excited. Friday night rolls around and they get together for dinner. And the mother is carrying on a conversation with each of these women in turn. You know, she's asking them questions. She's getting to know them for about an hour. She goes one by one and talks to each of the ladies. And after about an hour, she points at one and she says, son, this is the one. This is the one that you are going to marry. And the son is shocked. He can't believe it. He says, Mom, you're exactly right. This is the woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. You know, how did you know? What was it about her that gave it away? And the mom said, well, that was easy. She's the only one that I cannot stand. This This mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is often fraught with difficulty. Or at least, that's the stereotype that we hear and that we see, you know, in comedy shows and other forms of entertainment. But that is not, that is not the case in the relationship that we are highlighting today. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, Naomi and her daughters-in-law her only remaining family members, Ruth and Orpah, they begin the return trip to Judah. 
But along the way, Naomi says, listen, Orpah and Ruth, I have nothing more to give you. I gave you my sons. They are now gone. I would ask that you go back to your, to your mother's homes. You need your mother. You need your father. I will be okay. You don't have to follow me back to my home. You need to stay home and may God's blessings be upon you. And the ladies, Orpah and, and Ruth, they say, no, we're going to go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? I don't have sons in my womb that you can marry. And she has in her mind a, a law that was on the books in Judaism that we call leveret marriage. And it was when, one, when a man would die, uh, his wife would marry his brother or the closest kin in order to perpetuate the family name. And Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, I have no more sons to give you. I don't even have a husband. And if I did have a husband and I, I was, there were children in my womb, would you wait on them to grow up to then marry them? No. You need to go back home and leave me be. Go on back home. And they lifted up their voices according to Ruth chapter 1, verse 14, and they wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and bid her farewell, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth was devoted to her. Ruth, loyal to her, though she had, according to Naomi, nothing more to offer Ruth. And God will use Ruth's devotion to Naomi to bring about good in her life. I'm, I'm previewing the end of the story here. He will use Ruth's devotion to showcase his kindness. But Naomi can't see it. She's blind to it. She cannot see it yet. In fact, Naomi thinks just the opposite about God. Not that he will use Ruth to be kind to her. Not that he will use Ruth to bring about good. But rather, God is my enemy. God has brought calamity upon me. Let's listen to her here. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 and following. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It's been 10 years since they've seen her. And not only is she 10 years older, she has been through a whole lot in her life. Lost her husband. Lost her sons. Lived in a foreign land. Her appearance was undoubtedly different. And they barely recognize her. And it causes quite a stir around town. And they say, is this Naomi? Is this the Naomi who used to live here, who left long ago, and now she's back? And she's back without her husband and back without her sons. And she's here with her two foreign daughters-in-law from the land of Moab. And they say, is this Naomi? And she corrects them. She says, don't call me that name anymore. Because that name means pleasant. I want you to call me by a different name now. Call me Mara, because that name means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me that name? Why do you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? God is not looking out for my best interests. God has brought great sorrow into my life. I don't experience, I don't feel the care of the Lord. He brought me away from this land full. I know there was a shortage of food, but at least my family was intact. 
at least I still had my husband and my boys. But now they're gone and I've gone from full to empty, from pleasant to bitter. And maybe like Naomi, you can't see the ways that God is working in your life. In your estimation, your life is not pleasant. It's bitter. It's not full. It feels empty. And you ask the question, will life ever feel full again? The novel Gilead is about a man named John Ames. He's a preacher who has lived 74 of his 76 years in the tiny town of Gilead, Iowa. And he's lived much of that time alone. When he was a young man, he was married to a girl named Louisa, a lovely, energetic young woman that he had known since they were children. But when Louisa was giving birth to their first child, she tragically passed away. And their infant also didn't survive the ordeal. And so for decades after that painful experience, John Ames lived a solitary life, taking most of his meals alone, keeping to himself, spending time by himself. Will life ever feel full again? Now, beginning in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, the story, it proceeds like a classic love story. And I'm going to provide for you an all-too-brief summary. I would encourage you to read it. And if you're following along in our yearly reading plan at this congregation, you've already read Ruth. Maybe you want to go back and read it again. It, narratively speaking, is a work of art, a beautiful story. And in fact, when I was in high school in one of our literature uh, books, one of our textbooks, there was the story, the book of Ruth for us to read. It's that regarded outside of the biblical liter- literature as just a, an excellent example of storytelling. This is what pr- happens starting at chapter 2. It's the beginning of the barley harvest in Bethlehem. Naomi has a relative on her late husband's side of the family named Boaz. Ruth goes to glean in this man Boaz's field after the reapers have moved through. When Boaz sees her, he asks one of his servants, who is that? Who is that woman? Well, she's the young woman, the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, one of her daughters-in-law. And Boaz vows to protect her and care for her because of her loyalty, because of her devotion to her mother-in-law. He asks the Lord's blessing be upon her. And when Ruth tells Naomi all about Boaz and how great he is and his care for her, Naomi tells her that he is a close relative. He is one of our redeemers. And again, she has in mind this law from the book of Deuteronomy about leveret marriage where the woman would marry the brother or the closest of kin to her late husband in order to continue the family name, but she also has in mind another law in the books about property redemption. And so Naomi sees that there is potential here for her family to be redeemed by this relationship. Ruth continues to glean in his fields until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And one night, Ruth makes a bold move at Naomi's urging. She confronts Boaz at the threshing floor and she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is basically a marriage proposal from a foreign woman to a powerful Israelite man. 
Boaz tells her that there is actually a redeemer nearer than he, closer in kin. But if that man will not redeem Ruth and her family's property, then he, Boaz, will. The next day, the nearest redeemer yields his right to redeem the land of Naomi and to take the hand of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, in marriage. And so true to his word, Boaz purchases the land and the right to marry Ruth in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and the people, the townspeople in Bethlehem come together and they bless this new union. That's the story of Ruth. And I didn't do it justice. You really need to go read it for yourself. I left out a lot of good details. But at the end of that account, the spotlight of the story shifts back to Naomi. And now I'm in chapter 4, the final chapter of the book. The story begins with Naomi, and it ends with Naomi. And I think you can make a compelling case. I think that this entire book can be read not as a story about Ruth, not primarily as a story about Boaz, but as a story about Naomi. As a story about how God works in various situations to bring about blessing and redemption into the life of Naomi. Look here in Ruth chapter 4 at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. They are talking about the newborn baby of Ruth and Boaz. The new grandbaby of Naomi. New life has been breathed into this family that has suffered sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. And the women gather around Naomi and they say to her in verse 15, He shall be to you a restorer of life a nourisher of your old age. For your daughters-in-law who love you very much, your daughter-in-law rather, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. In other words, Naomi, can you look back and can you see the ways that God has been working in your life, specifically through your daughter-in-law, Ruth? Through Ruth, God has brought restoration and nourishment. He has brought a newborn baby into your arms. Do you see what's happened here? The question that we asked earlier, will life ever be full again? Will I ever go from feeling bitter to pleasant again? The answer here for Naomi is a resounding yes. In this novel I mentioned earlier, the novel Gilead, after years of loneliness and grief, John Ames, this elderly preacher, he meets a young woman. She wanders into his church while he's preaching one day, and against all odds, they fall in love. And they get married, and then they have a son. And the entire book, the whole thing, is written from his perspective in the form of a long letter that he is writing for his young son. For his young son to read after he's passed on. He wants to share with his boy an account of his family, some biographical information. He wants to tell him about his life. 
He wants to impart wisdom to him, but he also wants to tell this boy who's come along late in his life, a gift that he never expected, what a blessing he's been. This son of his old age. And in one section he says this. I love these beautiful words. He says, I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you ever wonder what you've done in your life, and everyone does wonder sooner or later, you have been God's grace to me. A miracle. Something more than a miracle. You may not remember me very well at all, and it may seem to you to be no great thing to have been the good child of an old man in a shabby little town you will no doubt leave behind. If only I had the words to tell you. If only I had the words to tell you how my heart overflows with joy at your arrival. How you have taken my life from bitter to pleasant, from empty to full. You know, we Christians are assured that we will experience fullness someday, even if our lives feel mostly empty in the here and now. Two passages from the New Testament, both from Paul, the first, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when Paul says this, the sufferings, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. I love that. Paul is trying to put our calamities, our heartaches, our sorrow, our suffering in perspective. He says, as great as they feel in the here and now, as empty as you might feel, as bitter as you might feel, as great as you think your problems are, let me tell you that in the life to come, when you look back, they will seem tiny in comparison to the glory that you will be experiencing. Do you have the eyes to see it? Do you have the faith to be able to believe it? And then likewise, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You think right now that your problems are heavy. And Paul says, I don't want to diminish those. I know that many of you are suffering. The people to whom he was writing we're undergoing persecutions for their faith, much like Paul was. We've talked recently about Paul and the problems that he experienced and the beatings that he incurred, the way that he was stoned within inches of his life. He faced a lot of affliction. The people to whom he wrote faced a lot of problems and affliction. But Paul here says, compared to the glory that you will experience, it will seem light. Oh, I know it seems heavy now. I know it covers you like a blanket. I know you feel like there's no way out from under it, but compared to the glory that you will experience, you'll look back. I promise you, Paul says, you'll look back and you'll say, boy, that was just light. It was just temporary. Compared to this eternal weight of glory, in which I'm now basking in the glow of the love of my Father. And all that I experienced that brought me to this point, now looking back, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. When that baby was laid on Naomi's lap in chapter 4, verse 16 of Ruth, surely she 
felt that the Lord had restored her fortunes, that the Lord had once again demonstrated His kindness, that her life was again full. But in that moment, does she also understand that the Lord was being kind to her even before she realized that He was already at work in her life even back when she said, the Lord has brought nothing but calamity upon me. He's been nothing but bitter in my life. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. I'm changing my name from Naomi to Mara because of what the Lord has done. Does she realize now, as she looks at that beautiful baby boy in her lap, that not only has the Lord been good to her now, but He has been good to her, that He has been working behind the scenes in her life, especially and primarily in her relationship with Ruth. Ruth was by her side when she said those things, when she rolled back into town, into Bethlehem. Ruth was there. Ruth stuck by her side. Ruth had no reason to stick around. It, it, it was no, of no benefit to her, seemingly at the time, for her to stay. If she had calculated it in her mind, it would have been better for her. To go back to her mother. In fact, Naomi says, go back to your mother. Your mother needs you. But Ruth says, but you need me. And Ruth stays with her. And Ruth says to her, and I'm wonder, I just wonder. As Naomi now sits, thinking about the ways that God has worked. As she sits with that baby in her lap. Is she thinking back about what Ruth said? What Ruth said as Naomi tried to tell her to leave, to depart from her, the most famous words in the book of Ruth, these words often used in wedding ceremonies, but they were originally spoken by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Is she thinking about when her daughter-in-law Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, that's where I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you, I ain't going anywhere. I am by your side. And now that Naomi sits on the other end of that, can she now see how God has used this woman, Ruth, to bring about blessing after blessing into her life. She couldn't see it earlier. I bet she can see it now. Can you now see the signs of God's kindness in your life? The previews of the fullness to come that He provides each and every day, even in the midst of sorrow. Yes, glory is coming. Yes, our inheritance await, any, awaits an eternal weight of glory. But life, even in sorrowful times, is peppered with glorious moments. Is it not? If we have the eyes to see them, glorious moments. God's kindness is sprinkled throughout our day. We experience 10,000 gifts plus from God each and every day. An encouraging note in the mail. A sunrise, a sunset, the view of the mountains in the distance, a blooming iris, 
a dogwood trees, buds, 10,000 gifts and more that we experience each and every day. The laughter of a child, the warm embrace of a loved one. And now I'm getting into what is most important, what we need to notice most of all, and that is how God uses people, how he uses people to showcase his kindness to us in the here and now. God used Ruth to show that he had not forgotten about Naomi, that he still was caring for her, that he still loved her, and God uses countless people to show us the same. Our closing song this morning is going to be the song Precious Memories. And maybe you have a connection, an emotional connection to that song. I'll tell you what, for many of my years, I didn't really like that song because it just seemed like an old song. And I'm young, you know, I'm hip, I'm cool, and I don't like these old songs. I am not hip or cool anymore. I am old now. I really am. I went and got a haircut the other day, and it looked like when the lady was done with me, she'd used the touch of gray stuff right here. She colored it in right here. A lot of grays. And did you know my oldest daughter is closer to her college years looking forward than I am looking back? That's really disturbing. Because I feel like I just graduated, but she's closer than I am looking back. I'm getting old. I'm not hip. I'm not cool anymore. But there was a time when I didn't like precious moments. Uh, Precious memories. I'm sorry. Precious memories. Precious moments is something else. That's those little figurines that people have. Precious memories. And you know what else I thought? What does that song have to do with God? It's just like somebody reflecting on nice, pleasant moments from their life. Is there barely even a mention of the Lord in that song? Do you know what? That song, Precious Memories, has warmed to me. I like that song. That talks about the memories that cascade through our minds of our mothers and our fathers. You know why? Because it is God who has blessed our lives with those people and countless more. Our grandparents, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family. It is God who has provided those people in our lives as gifts to us in order to bless us. And when we think about them, those memories are precious in our minds. I like that song now. I like that song now. Because it reminds me of the goodness and the kindness of God. You know, the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. And it's not a boring genealogy. It's a brief genealogy, and it's an exciting one. Because it reveals to us that the baby born to Ruth and Boaz, his name Obed, becomes King David's grandfather. The great King David, which makes Ruth and Boaz the great grandparents of David. And you know what? That also makes this baby boy the ancestor of Jesus Christ. The one through whom God's kindness is shown to us in an ultimate way now and forevermore. The one through whom God provides life and life to the full. Abundant life now, eternal life forever. And I wonder, do you know Jesus? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Jesus has the power to save. And maybe somebody wants to come today and be saved by Christ. 
Or maybe somebody wants to come today and confess sin and to, to renew their commitment to Jesus. We invite you to do that right now as we stand and sing.